Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmoke, Lance Meadow with you, and the phone number is 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Derek Klassen from Football Outsiders will join us in just a couple of minutes to break down the 2019 quarterback draft class. And in that spirit, we put a little poll up via the Giants Twitter account. You will see the little uh, advertisement and promotion for Big Blue Kickoff Live. And attached to that, Mr. Meadow, is our poll question for the day. The question is, how many quarterbacks will be taken in the first round of the 2019 NFL Draft? Choice 1 is 0-1. to one. Choice 2 is 2. Choice 3 is 3. And choice 4 is 4 or more. I'm going to click in here and say 3 which has now 49% with 225 votes yet to cast. Well, most people think Haskins and Murray are going in the first round. The question is, will a third one go in the first round? It seems as if the majority that's in at this point believe what did you vote? that the number will be three. I voted two. Okay, so you think it's just going to be Haskins and Murray then? That's where I'm leaning towards right now. Stocks do rise and fall, obviously, leading up to the draft, but I would say two is a safe bet at this point. I think we're going to get a reachy, 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 and we'll see how that goes. And just to talk about that and all the other quarterbacks in the draft class in 2019 is our guy Derek Klassen. Derek, I've been a follower of yours on Twitter for a while. I'm happy to finally get you on the show. He works the film room for Football Outsiders. you got John Schmuck and Lance Meadow on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How you doing today, pal? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing great, doing uh, and you're a really informative Twitter feed. You've been reviewing quarterbacks for uh, a few years now, and I think this year's class is interesting. It's not, at least in my opinion, and I think most people, it's not nearly as strong as last year's class. And uh, I kind of want to get into it and start with Kyler Murray first because he kind of announced two days ago that he's going to try to play football. And a lot of the talk here, and, and I hate both sides of this argument, you have one side of the old-school football guys, oh, you can't have a short quarterback. Then you have the analytics guys and say, height doesn't matter at all. But it, it really is a bit in the middle, isn't it, when you take a look at how Kyler Murray plays in college? Uh, absolutely, because I don't think um, his height necessarily like kills the way he plays. I think he does legitimately have some issues with not being creative in the way that he moves around the pocket to find his way around throwing lanes. I know there was a stat where he didn't get batted uh, at the line very many times, but a lot of that also has to do with the way Oklahoma was scheming him um, and just how comfortable those pockets were a lot of the time. So he was never really put in position for that to be a problem. The thing with short quarterbacks is there's a lot that you can do to kind of mitigate their height. You can give them deep drops in the pocket. You can move the pocket a lot, um, whether that be a rollout or like an angle drop, like the Texans do with Sean Watson a lot. So in terms of height, there's there's really a lot of ways they can make up for it, and that's not necessarily the biggest issue with him. It's it's a lot of the other ways that he handles the pocket that don't really have anything to do with his height, and I, I think that's why the argument with him is so fascinating. Yeah, it really is. I want to do one more follow-up before I pass you off to Lance here on Murray. Um, specifically, when it comes to height, one thing I saw from him in college, and I know a lot of people have made that Mayfield comparison from last year, well, if Baker can do it, then why can't Kyler Murray? For one, Murray's smaller. But that, that, that to me is not really the point. I saw Baker Mayfield last year on tape when I watched probably eight or nine games. I watched the same amount of Murray this year, Derek. He would take the ball, drop back, you know, in shotgun most of the time, 
and throw an on-time throw in the middle of the field in the short to intermediate area. You know, you see Murray make on-time throws, but most times it's, it's down the field, down the seam, or outside the numbers. You just don't see him make a lot of those on-time, shorter, intermediate throws in the middle of the field. One, do you agree? And if so, is that the Oklahoma scheme? Is it him not seeing it? Is it him not finding passing lanes? How do you kind of put all those pieces of the puzzle together? I absolutely agree. I think when you watch Murray, a lot of what you see is it's a lot of either RPO stuff. Um, he throws a lot of like those 10 to 12 yard comebacks on the sideline that are just yep. one read and go. Um, or he does a lot of the stuff that's down the field where he can kind of just wait on it. The thing with Baker Mayfield is he did so much more. And like you said, Baker Mayfield really lived over the middle of the field, whether it was like wide cross, throwing digs, uh, squaring, stuff like that. Baker was so good at that. Um, and part of it, too, is because I think he was a little taller and really understood how to throw over defenders, especially when he was getting uh, pressure from the interior. He could kind of move around that and make that work. I just don't really see that with Kyler Murray, and I also think Kyler Murray is a, a tick slower to read those type of concepts. I think when you watch him try to read like Y-Cross, he'll kind of wait a second or two too long for the, the tight end to clear the linebacker, and it leads to him just not being able to – not being able to be accurate because the window ends up much smaller than it should be if he had thrown it earlier. Derek, one of the things you brought up earlier was perhaps, and I'm paraphrasing, his indecisiveness or uncertainty when he's in the pocket. For the sake of the listeners and the viewers, what exactly do you mean by that of where he needs to improve in terms of his decision-making within the pocket? So I think when you watch a lot of guys, um, especially shorter guys, whether it be Baker Mayfield or Drew Brees or Russell Wilson, and obviously those guys are the height of quarterbacks play, but because of their height, a lot of what they have to do is when they know that they're going to a certain part of the field, they will make minor adjustments in the pocket um, relative to wherever their protection is to know that they can get a clean throwing angle um, from the pocket and not have a defender in their way. A lot of the times you just don't see that with Murray. Murray tends to be very stationary in the pocket um, unless he's, like, completely bailing. Um, and he's obviously fast enough where that works out for him a lot of the time, especially at the college level. But you just don't see a lot of that nuance uh, movement in the pocket where, you know, he'll just make, like, one or two slight steps that just get him into a perfect throwing angle like Breeze or Wilson do. Um, that's just not really something you see from Murray. And I think at the NFL level, if he can't, start to show that it's going to be more of a problem yeah and it's funny Greg Cosell put up his little scouting report on Murray yesterday I'm not sure if you if you saw it Derek but I, I'm very much on the same page as he is in what I've seen from Murray as well and the one thing that kind of worries me and again this is not what you saw from you know Baker Mayfield's tape last year if that first read isn't there, and a lot of the Oklahoma stuff is predetermined throws right and if that first throw isn't there rather than him hanging in the pocket keeping his feet, resetting, and looking to that next read, he would be very, very quick to bail. And we, and you see him making a lot of those big plays because he's so athletic and he gets outside, he can throw off at different bases, stuff like that. He's great at that. But you didn't see that discipline in the pocket and him being patient in the pocket. And I think that's something else where in the NFL, if you're bailing from the pocket that quick, unless you're going to make your, your living as a runner – you're going to struggle a little bit to be a consistent throw of the football in a set system. Right, and I think even in a lot of the instances where Murray maybe did hang in the pocket for a couple of reads, Oklahoma faced a lot of three-man rushes, and so he was yeah. kind of sitting there, one, with the best offensive line in the country, except for maybe Clemson, um, and he's getting a lot of three-man rushes, maybe four-man. Like He just wasn't really getting blitzed or pressured as much as a lot of other guys, and 
he wasn't really being able to he wasn't really forced to rush his process so um like you said he did a lot of either run read and bail or if that wasn't the case he was kind of just sitting there scot-free in a three-man uh rush pocket which is i mean that's just not going to happen in the nfl consistently we're talking with Derek Class in Film Room for Football Outsiders. Derek, I know one of the things that you have been a little irritated with based on what you wrote on Twitter is the comparisons between Kyla Murray and Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, how he can maybe be a continuation of some of these smaller success stories. And I think you brought up an interesting point. Russell Wilson, Drew Brees brought a lot more college experience to the table when they arrived in the NFL, multiple years as starters. Kyler Murray, what I think a lot of people are overlooking, it's a very small sample size. Only one year as a starter because Baker Mayfield was there. With that being said, how much substance is there when evaluating Kyler Murray if he's only been a starter for one year? Um, there's, there's really not a lot, especially because we've talked about he just doesn't have that much he just doesn't have that much experience in film throwing over the middle of the field, and I think in the NFL, being able to throw to that area is huge. And then there's also the fact that, like I said um, on Twitter, those guys like Breeze, Wilson, um, and Mayfield, they were all like seniors. Um, they were able to show so much, um, sometimes in different systems for some of them, like Wilson. Um, and they just were able to show so many things, show so much growth. Murray is only a one-year guy, and not only is that different than a lot of those other short quarterbacks, one-year quarterbacks in general just have a – there's not that many of them, and they have, a like, not a great hit rate. Really, in the past, like, 25 years, it's pretty much Cam Newton, Mitchell uh, Trubisky, and Mark Sanchez. And Cam doesn't really count because he was going to start at Florida and started at JUCO. So I think Murray having such a limited sample size, and even though he's a very exciting player and explosive player, um, he's also such an incomplete player. I think those two things make it – it, to me, it just makes it very tough to spend like a top 10 pick on him. And, and, and quite frankly, I, I think the jury's still out on Trubisky too. I think he plays well, but I think he's also very, Absolutely. very much helped by the by the system Nagy puts him in. He doesn't have to you know, do a lot of things some of these other quarterbacks do. Uh, I want, I want, I'll, I'll have you, Lance, ask you a positive question about Murray because I feel like we're just killing the kid. And he actually is really talented. <laughs> but but one other thing I want to ask you about, and you mentioned it, the fact that he played behind that offensive line, I think you did see a lot of plays where he was able to kind of just, you know, pitter-patter his feet, hop, 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 wait, wait, wait in the pocket. No pressure was coming. And what worries me is that towards the end of the year when he played some of the better defenses, right, especially the Alabama game, and he did see pressure, especially pressure up the middle, that's when I thought some of his worst tendencies got worse, where you would like to see him deal with that better in the small sample size when he had to deal with it. Is how he had to play and how he did play against Alabama in that first half a big red warning light for you in how NFL teams might be able to attack him, especially bringing pressure up the middle and not allowing him to just sit back there and work? Uh, absolutely. I think you're going to have to, as an offensive coordinator, you're going to have to be ready and have a system in place where him being able to bail from those situations is something that's okay. This is something we saw early on a lot, um, like during the Daryl Bevel days with um, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, is yeah. that their system was kind of designed for Russell Wilson to not intentionally break the pocket necessarily, but if that were going to happen, they were a very good scramble drill team. And um, like you saw in that Alabama game, that situation was kind of forced on Murray, and he's not a guy who's going to be able to stand in there and get his arm slot over defenders that are 6'4". He's just he's not that big, and his arm slot when he throws just isn't that high because even Russell Wilson's is much higher than that. 
Um, so I think he's going to have problems just standing in the pocket. He's going to have to move. And he had a couple of really great throws in that game. He had the sure. one where he ended up moving up and just rifle shot it, you know, 50 yards down the field. But, um, you know, like you said, he, he's going to have to really, really show that he's great um, on the move and outside the pocket. And I think he is, but the fact that he can't always stay in the pocket is uh, a little bit worrisome, I agree. Well, from a positive angle standpoint, as we try to give a full assessment of Kyler Murray, if I'm a general manager, Derek, and let's say I do want to roll the dice, I do want to take a chance, whether it be first round, second round, what are the characteristics that you're seeing that you could see a coaching staff truly build off of, given the fact that he still doesn't have a great deal of experience as a starter? So I think, for one, his arm talent is uh, absolutely nuts. And the fact that he's now, I think, committing to football, you maybe can tweak his throwing motion a little bit. He still has uh, – he throws a little bit like an outfielder um, because obviously <laughs> he was. And so I think him now fully committing to football, uh, you might be able to tweak that a little, bit, a little bit and make him a little bit more accurate. But in terms of strength, um, how well he's able to throw on the move um, from any angle if he can get to it, I think is really impressive. Like he had some throws um, on the move this season where he's just floating the ball 40 yards um, while rolling, and I mean, there just aren't that many guys in the NFL right now that can make those type of throws, so I think that's very impressive. And then obviously the way he moves outside the pocket, whether that be as a scrambler um, or as a designed runner, I think actually gives him a decently high floor um, because I think it's been proven statistically a number of times that quarterbacks who can run um, actually give you a, a pretty good uh, floor as an offense. Guys like Tyrod Taylor, um, even though he's not a fantastic passer, what he gives you as a runner, at least when he was a little bit younger, um, at least gave you a pretty stable offense. And I think Murray is even a much better runner than that. So I think in that sense, his floor is maybe a little bit safer than we thought. But I think really what you're getting with Murray is a guy who is finally committing to one sport and you don't really know what he is yet. So he's definitely one of those guys where you're getting this incredible ball of clay and praying that you have a great quarterback coach that can kind of turn him into something because he very clearly has good baseline passer traits, but you've kind of got him to get to do the nuance type stuff. And if he can do it, then I think he could be pretty good. Yeah, he certainly can. He's accurate. He can make all the throws. Um, I think he does a good job, much like Russell Wilson, in not taking big hits. He gets down and he slides, which is good. Absolutely. Um, the, the final one for me on on Murray before Lance starts hitting on, on, on Haskins with you, Derek, if you do draft him, what adjustments would, let's say, the Giants, for example, who we know about Pat Shermer's system, second half of the year they went under center a lot more, a lot of bigger people, a lot of play action from under center. How would you have to adjust your offense to maximize Kyler Murray's talents if when he goes to the NFL? In my opinion, I think you basically want to do – I mean, I think you want to have a better uh, – in terms of like route design than what the Texans were doing. But in terms of the way that the Texans would move the pocket for Deshaun Watson, whether it be giving him like seven step drops to really give him clear vision, um, whether it be kind of angling his drops off of some play action stuff, or just straight up rolling him out off of bootleg or sprint outs or stuff like that to kind of just give him more ease of vision. I think that's something that you're going to have to do a lot with Murray. Um, and it does hurt the Texans a little bit. They end up giving up a lot more pressure than maybe they should just because those seven-step drops are a lot easier for edge rushers to, to sure. get to your quarterback. So that could be a problem. But I think that's the type of adjustments you're going to have to make 
um, regarding the pocket to kind of keep Murray clean, especially early on. As we transition to the other quarterbacks, first big picture question here for you, Derek, because I think while teams may be desperate for a quarterback, I think it's also important to put things in perspective between what this year's top group of QBs can produce versus what years past have done, specifically 2018. Good question. Murray and Haskins, who I think most people think are the top two in this year's class, if we were to go back and look at the 2018 class, especially the five guys that went in the first round, where would you fit in a Haskins and a Murray in comparison to the Mayfields, the Darnolds, the Allens, the Rosens, the Jacksons of the world? Uh, Haskins and Murray would probably be five and six for me, and that's not necessarily because I hate Haskins and Murray. Um, I think I just really liked the top four guys um, last year in uh, Mayfield, Jackson, Darnold, and Rosen. I wasn't huge on Allen, so I certainly like Haskins and Murray much more than that, but um, to me, if, when you're taking Murray, you're taking someone who's maybe a little bit more accurate than Jackson, but hasn't shown near as much mentally as Jackson, and so I think I would much rather have the guy who showed a lot more mentally at Louisville um, and stuff like that. And then Mayfield was a super complete package, um, and that's kind of what people are saying that Haskins is, but Mayfield was obviously much more of a full package, much more complete, much more experienced. So I do like Haskins and Murray, but I would probably slot them behind uh, most, if not all, of the top guys from last year. All right, now let's move on to Haskins because uh, he's your traditional – pocket NFL passer. He's a guy that you probably don't have to adjust your system a whole lot for, Derek, because you know you take a look at him, a lot of the routes he threw and patterns his receivers ran Ohio State to me look like NFL routes. He had to make some NFL reads. To me, his transition to the NFL uh, will be a bit easier, and I think you have a much better idea of the type of quarterback you're going to get and how you're going to be able to use him with Haskins than you do with Kyler Murray. Right, and with Haskins... You still have a little bit of the one-year starter uh, thing that I mentioned earlier. Sure. Uh, but where I think you can kind of ease some of those concerns is if you watch what the Haskins offense looked like at Ohio State versus the JT Barrett offense, it's really night and day. Like, they really opened up the passing game for Haskins. They gave him more pre-snap responsibility, um, put more receivers on the field, it felt like, a lot more of the time, and really allowed the quarterback in Haskins to, you know, get through one read, two read, three read, whereas Barrett, they were like, you better run one read and go uh, <laughs> because you're much you're much better with your legs. Um, but Haskins, they really opened up the passing offense for him, and I think he was fantastic. Like you said, I think he showed that he could make a lot of NFL reads. I don't really think he has to be confined to any sort of system. Granted, I don't know if you want to be uh, an Arians full vertical team with him, but I think that's totally fine. I think um, there's plenty of other ways to run an offense, and I think he's a guy who gives you a really high baseline in terms of passing efficiency. He's very smart, and he's very good in the quick game. Um, maybe not your most explosive passer, but I don't think you, you have to be that. I think, like you said, um, he just does so many NFL things right now um, that you feel pretty good about inserting, in, inserting him into an offense early on. Well, related to that, Derek, one of the things that you brought up on your analysis online is him relying on a lot of those crossing routes within the Ohio State offense. So if you were to compare him versus Murray, who do you think, though, takes more chances down the field and has that instinct where they're willing to be a little bit more aggressive between the two? 
See, I think it's interesting because I don't think either of them is necessarily scared, but I think Haskins is a lot more calculated, um, if that makes sense. Sure. Like Murray, you'll see some instances where he just kind of will just throw into double or triple coverage because he thinks that he has to throw the deep ball on a given play, and he'll just end up you know, throwing a pretty easy interception. Just stuff like that where almost airheaded aggression every now and then. <laughs> Haskins, is if, if he's throwing down the field, he, he knows what he's doing. He knows that, um, say you're running a Mills concept where you have you know a, a dig from your slot and then a, a guy running a post. Yeah. If he, if he knows you're in quarters, he's throwing the post because he knows that that has to be open or that his, his guy is going to at least get a good chance. Just stuff like that. Haskins knows very well when he can be aggressive and when he can't. Um, and I think him showing that he can toe that line very comfortably already um, is very good. And, like you know, like you said, he, he loves to rely on those crossers. And I, I don't think that's because he's necessarily a conservative or scared quarterback. I think it's just he knows those are free yards. And if he doesn't have to press down the field on a throw that might not be open, he, he doesn't feel like he needs to take it. And so I think he just does a very good job of, of knowing what throw is there and what isn't. We're joined by Derek Class and Football Outsiders, runs the film room there. Uh, Derek, a couple of negative things on, on Haskins I want to touch on real quick. From watching him, uh, I'll get to the pressure stuff in a second, but accuracy-wise, I felt in the middle of the field between the wide hash marks and maybe even between the numbers, extremely accurate thrower. But I felt once he started getting down the field, we saw his accuracy get a little wonky sometimes, and I thought outside the numbers too, once he got into that, you know, 15-yard and higher range, he would airmail some passes, and I, I felt like once he got outside of that intermediate middle of the field, sometimes his accuracy wasn't quite what you were looking for. I agree, and I think part of that right now for him is is uh, his mechanics. You, you know, when you watch him, he's very much a guy who throws almost exclusively with his upper body, and for some guys that works, like Cam Newton throws pretty exclusively with his upper body a lot of the time, but he also has maybe the best arm in football. So it's, it's kind of a different story, whereas right. Haskins doesn't really have that luxury. He needs to be able to get his feet under him more often. And sometimes, even though mentally he's getting to two, second and third reads very well, he's not always moving his feet the way that he needs to. And he'll end up kind of where his, his lower body is disjointed from his upper body, and he kind of just ends up, like you said, airmailing a pass, you know, uh, maybe a 15-yard out because – he just didn't have his feet under him. And so I think that's a big problem for him. I think if he gets more time in a system, um, especially in the, NFL, in the NFL, I think that's something he can fix. Um, because, like I said, I think he's shown mentally that he's all there. So if you can kind of just get him to be like, hey, you got to bring your feet around when you're getting to these reads, I think he can actually – I think that's something he actually can end up fixing. You know, Derek, and I just want to add on something you mentioned there about his feet. I felt he does a real good job when those ends come wide. He will step up in the pocket and make some throws. But when pressure starts coming at him, his feet can break down really poorly. And you see some throws, you're like, whoa, that is not fundamental football from the quarterback position. And how he handles pressure in the NFL, uh, I think, could really determine if he's a Pro Bowl quarterback or yeah, he's okay, we know what we're getting, but he's not going to go out there and win a whole lot of games for you on his own. I agree, and I think the thing with interior pressure like that is usually there's two, way guys, two ways guys will react. Either one, you very 
clearly see a guy who, like, as soon as he sees that pressure, he just wants the ball. He doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't want to get hit. Or two, you have a guy who almost acts as if it's not even there and will just, like, take a shot to the chin and throw the ball anyway. Yeah. Haskins is the first one where he kind of panics a little bit and really just wants to get the ball out, doesn't want to take a sack, doesn't want to take a hit, which um, it does kind of get him out of a lot of sacks, but he ends up just really rushing his process. And like you said, his mechanics don't really come around um, when he rushes those throws out. And it hurts him a lot because he, he just hasn't really shown when interior pressure comes like that or the pocket entirely collapses that he can stand tall and and make super tough throws under pressure. I think he's shown flashes, especially toward the end of the year, but I to agree. me, it never really felt like something he did consistently. I agree, though. I think he def- did definitely get better from the start of the season to the end than he did progress in, in uh, some of those areas. Go ahead, Lance. Well, one of the things, Derek, though, that people bring up with respect to how quarterbacks deal with pressure or can you project whether they could deal with pressure is the offensive line that they played with at college. So, for example, you brought up Kyler Murray had the luxury of one of the best offensive lines in college in Oklahoma. I'm not saying Ohio State was a crappy offensive line, but I don't think it was anywhere near where Oklahoma is. With that being said, who do you think has a better grasp, though, of handling pressure at the next level? Is it Murray, despite his shortcomings in the height department, or is it Haskins, based on what you've seen on film? Good question. So, just in terms of the way that they seem to process the pressure like mentally you know like we talked about with Murray I think just physically it's going to be harder for him to throw against interior pressure because he's just shorter but I think in terms of like how confident or scared they play under pressure I actually think Murray is very good under pressure like when he gets pressured he might not know where to go in the pocket necessarily <laughs> but he doesn't feel like someone who needs to rush the ball out he feels like he yeah, has I agree time. With that. he feels like he knows how to create time and so I think that's something that's important with him and Maybe if you can mold him a little bit and get him to understand, like, hey, here's, you know, when the pocket breaks down this way, you can slide here. If you can get him to understand that, he actually could end up very good because I think he already has the uh, the baseline understanding of not being scared of pressure and knowing when he actually has time. We're talking with Derek Klassen, does the film room for football outsiders. Derek, I think we now want to transition to some of the other quarterbacks even though I know the main focus is on Murray and Haskins, but the Drew Locks, the Daniel Joneses of the world, First big-picture perspective, who in your mind outside of Haskins and Murray has the most upside as you go further down the depth chart of the 2019 quarterback class? Uh, I think for me it would probably be Drew Locke. Um, I don't love Drew Locke the way that some people seem to. Some people think he's a guy you're comfortable taking in maybe the late first round. I don't think I like him that much, but I think – Block actually gives you a decent baseline in terms of performance. Like I think, I think coming into the league immediately, he's basically Miami Jay Cutler, which is not a great quarterback, but you could do much worse. And I think you can develop him further than that because obviously his arm is fantastic. Um, he's a decent enough runner and mobile guy that he's going to make, be able to make plays outside of the pocket. Um, and I think he's shown flashes of being able to read the field very comfortably he's kind of inconsistent um, but I think he did show growth from his um, I think it was junior season to senior season where uh, as a junior he would always throw right at center fielding safeties um, but you could see his senior year that was something he stopped doing and he clearly got better at reading the field so I think him having already shown some growth in his last couple of seasons and then just having him having such an outstanding arm I think he's probably your best bet for a guy that 
maybe you gamble on day two and he kind of turns into something. What's the key for him to make that next step and become a good starting NFL quarterback? Is it is it accuracy with his consistency? Uh, I know he likes to throw the ball down the field and he can throw it accurately down the field, but I don't think I saw that consistency uh, that you want to see out of the quarterback position. What do you think is that big step that Locke has to take in order to become the type of guy you're talking about? It's definitely accuracy, and it's not even accuracy all over. I actually think past about 10 yards, he's not really worse than anybody else in this class. Mm. But sometimes within 10 yards, like on those short throws where you're hitting the top of your drop and just letting it rip, he will just like not have himself set up to throw that route very well, and he'll just throw like a five-yard out in the dirt. Mm. Um, and it really will be for like no reason. There was no pressure. It wasn't like a weird angle. He just will just dirt it sometimes, and I think that's a problem for him. I think if you can get to him to consistently get those easy yards and get those easy throws, it'll make his deeper throws a lot more valuable because then you actually have something to kind of fall back on if that deep stuff isn't working out. So I would agree the accuracy, if he can clean that up a little bit in the quick game, is is his best way to to get better. Derek, I found it interesting you mentioned Miami Jay Cutler. Does that mean the Chicago Jay Cutler, the Denver Jay Cutler, (laughs) the potential's not there, or the Adam Gase Chicago Jay Cutler is not there? I I just found it interesting you used Miami because, man, that's the tail end of Cutler's career. Doesn't sound like there's a huge ceiling there. Well, so <laughs> I, I actually was probably a little bit more um, apologetic to Chicago Jay Cutler than a lot of people <laughs> actually thought he had made up for horrible receivers um, quite often. Um, and, and I don't think that's something I necessarily see from Locke right now. I think Miami Jay Cutler, the thing was, you saw those flashes of old Cutler, uh, of young Cutler, I should say. Um, but they were only flashes, and a lot of the time he was kind of like Locke, kind of inconsistent in the short game, would have some moments of being fearless under pressure, but other times of what the hell are you doing? Um, And so I think that's very much what I see from Locke right now. I do think he can develop better than that. Um, Maybe something like kind of of what Matt Stafford is now is probably his ceiling. Um, But I, I think stepping into the league, he's Miami Jay Cutler pretty much right away which obviously, like we said, is not great. But I think um, if you're getting that in the second round as a rookie, you could do a lot worse. That's true. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel Jones is the other player that some people see perhaps as a late first-round pick. I got to be honest, from watching him, I just see a lot of, eh, okay, that's okay. All right, he, he He's okay at that. And, and you see the Cutcliffe coaching in him, the way he takes his drop, his fundamentals, his footwork and stuff like that. And I understand why people get excited about that. You know, hopefully he'll be able to transition to NFL offenses and, and, and all that type of, you know, on the big picture type of way of looking at a quarterback. But you look at the arm strength, the accuracy, uh, the, the big plays down the field, Derek. I don't know if I see it. I don't really see it either. And, and like you mentioned with the Cutcliffe coaching, I think the, the type of stuff that he probably is getting coached very well in is, is really all he does well right now, I think. Um, he does a lot of the quick game well. I think he's actually, you know, understanding leverage, um, you know, like playing yep. out of empty or 10 personnel. He, he's very good at understanding, like, if he can throw this quick out, if he can throw this slant. He's actually pretty good at that. I agree. Um, and he'll, he'll rip as soon as he gets to the top of his drop, so he doesn't really hesitate on one-read stuff. Um, I actually think he does a very good job of replacing blitzes. Um, you know, people blitz that Duke offensive line a lot because it was terrible. 
but he actually did a pretty decent job of, of knowing where the the open spot was going to be in the defense because of the blitz. Um, but like you said, pretty much outside of that, like I, I just don't think his sense of pressure was very good. He was kind of one of those guys that's very numb to it, like Geno Smith, where he, he just wouldn't take into he just wouldn't take inventory of where pass rushers were at any time, and so that was kind of a problem for him. I don't think his deep accuracy is very good. Um, I don't think his arm is nearly as good as it's sold to be. Um, so I think that kind of limits his upside, too. And the thing with Jones is that going into the NFL, guys, quarterbacks pretty much don't outproduce whatever they did in college. Like, it, it just almost never happens. Nick Foles is, like, the closest we've ever gotten. And even he's, like, average. And Jones, I think his career yards per attempt is, like, 6.5 in college. And if you're assuming that guys never exceed that in the NFL, he is going to have a real problem ever producing at a high level in the NFL because he would have to be a mold breaker otherwise. Well, it's very interesting after you said all of that, and then I know sometimes we get too much caught up in the media hype machine, Derek, but Daniel Jones seemed to skyrocket once the NFL season ended and people are talking him up much more so than they did during the college season. Now, from a Giants perspective, he's got the ties to the Manning brothers because of Cutcliffe and the coaching tenure that he had in the past. And then he seems to be height-wise the pro-typical quarterback that the Giants are interested in. Now, the reason I bring up both of those factors, what do you attribute to why there seems to be a lot of hype surrounding Jones compared to maybe some of these other quarterbacks and how they may fit with the New York Giants, per se? Um, honestly, I think as soon as – there's usually one guy like this a year, right? Like in 20 – I think 14 it was, there was Tom Savage. Oh, yeah. Where he didn't get any hype during the year. And then the season ends, and it's like, oh, there's this 6'4 guy who played at a pretty decent program, got some good coaching, and all of a sudden he might be a first-rounder. And everyone's like, Who? <laughs> and that's kind of the thing that we're having with Jones. 100%. He's, he's tall enough. His arm is, is good enough. It's not great. Um, and then in this particular case, you've got the Cutcliffe coaching, which I think everybody in the NFL probably loves. So to me, it seems like so much of why he's getting hype has really nothing to do with what he's shown on film. But sometimes that's just kind of what it is. Besides those top four we talked about, Derek, any other of the guys in this quarterback class really jump out to you? where they could be really worth a day two pick and could develop into a good NFL starter? So I still have a handful of guys that I haven't seen enough of yet. Like I haven't really seen Minshew or Tyree Jackson in enough depth to, to really talk about them. But the one like guy outside of the first round I think I really like is Brett Rippon out of Boise State. Um, he's not super tall. I think he's like six foot. He's going to end up like 210, so probably about Baker Mayfield size or something. Um, but he, he's like NFL smart, like easily. Um, I think he's, he's shown he can go from one read to two read to three read very comfortably. Um, Boise State's offense really tasked him with a lot pre-snap. They changed their personnel a ton. Um, they could do anything from empty to 10 personnel to 22. Um, it, it looked a lot like an Eagles offense, really, where they were constantly changing personnel and, and doing a lot of stuff with tight ends and and really asking their quarterback to understand things pre-snap and, and know how emotion across the line of scrimmage is, is going to change the defense, stuff like that. So I think they really asked a lot of Rippin mentally, and he delivered most of the time. Granted, I think the the way he processes pressure is not great. He usually just pretends it's not even there, which can work out for him sometimes, but other times it ends up in uh, 
strip sacks, which is not not great. Um, and then he also kind of does that with um, safeties every now and then, like uh, center fielding safeties where um, he, he's a guy who throws with a lot of conviction. So if he thinks he saw something pre-snap, he'll throw it without really thinking post-snap. And sometimes that can lead to interceptions. Yeah, you, you see that with like Kirk Cousins every now and then. Sure. Where something looks great pre-snap and then he he guns it and it's like oh well that wasn't open anymore and you kind of threw it anyway so (laughs) but (laughs) so I I think as a as a backup quarterback or someone you can develop into maybe you know an Alex Smith light a guy who's just going to run your system you're comfortable knowing what he can do uh, and you trust him pre-snap I think he's that type of guy I don't think his feelings fantastic but if you get him in the third or fourth round or something I think you you've probably brought a very valuable quarterback onto your team Derek, last one for me as we look at some of these other QBs. I'm just curious. I know you said you didn't look at everybody. Will Greer, to me, is somebody that is interesting out of West Virginia. Did you look at him? And if anything, what do you think the upside is with respect to him? Yeah, I've seen a decent amount of Will Greer. I'm not too sold on Will Greer. Um, I think his accuracy was was kind of inconsistent. Um, I think the way he threw on the move was extremely up and down as well. Um, I think it was on Twitter, I can't remember who now, had compared him to Case Keenum, um, and I think stylistically that makes a lot of sense. I don't think he's quite as good as Keenum, um, so I think Greer's uh, potential is probably capped at like a decent backup, um, but Greer, I just didn't see a, a whole ton uh, that made me comfortable kind of projecting him to somebody that you would want to take with a valuable pick. He, he, I just didn't love his film quite as much as other guys have. Derek, finally, looked at these quarterbacks for years now. Where do you think Haskins and Murray ultimately fall? You know, the best quarterbacks in the draft always get overdrafted. Are both these guys top 10? Are either a top 5? Are teams trading up to get these guys? What's your gut on what we're going to see on draft night in terms of Murray, Haskins, and even the other guys if you want to throw that in there? Uh, I think Murray and Haskins are going to end up going top 10 uh, one way or another. Murray seems a little bit more of a wild card, whether he's you know, for some reason the Cardinals are going to take him number one or somebody's going to trade up to like three or four or something like that. But um, with Haskins, I can't imagine he gets past like Jacksonville or New York. I just, it, it seems like there's no way that that happens. Um, and then in terms of another guy going first round, I feel like one of Jones or Locke is going to. Which one it ends up being, I don't know. Uh, but I do feel like somebody is going to, panic and feel like they need to make a play on a quarterback and it's probably going to end up being Walker Jones Derek awesome stuff man we really appreciate it we'll talk again before the draft you can follow him on Twitter what is it at QB class Derek yes sir and that's with a K and that's with the K yes. exactly so make sure you follow him on Twitter he also writes for football outsiders he runs their film room Derek great stuff we appreciate all the extra time today I know we went a long time with you but you had great insight and we appreciate you giving it to us today on Big Blue Kickoff yeah thanks a lot Derek yeah thanks for having me on fellas that's Derek Klassen does a great job breaking down quarterbacks for football outsiders and going inside the film room there for football outsiders and Lance Oh, wow. A lot of in-depth stuff there in terms of how these quarterbacks handle stuff on an individual basis in, in, in certain situations. What was your overall take on what he had to say about especially the top two guys? Well, first of all, 
what blew me away is the fact that he said fifth and sixth compared to 2018's draft class. So I, I think that falls in line with the narrative that we're hearing across the board that I don't think this quarterback class comes close to the substance and depth that 2018 provide. Clearly, I think he feels Haskins could make the best transition to an NFL team mm -hmm. at this point, even though there's still a small sample size with him, similar to Kyler Murray. But the offense that he ran, the decision-making, the physique of him, I think bodes well for the next level compared to a number of these other quarterbacks. So I think that is encouraging. Do you think he believes that Murray has a higher ceiling? I want to say yes, only because from what I took away from what Derek said, if a great coach and a great scheme combines with Kyler Murray and everything's in sync. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Dwayne Haskins. I happen That's to agree. my takeaway from what he said and what I personally think. I happen to agree with both things you just said. Because I think if Murray, through coaching and through scheme, can overcome some of his deficiencies and learn how to do some of those things better, his overall package, despite his lack of physique, I think better arm talent more mobile, more explosive with his legs to make plays off-timing out of the pocket. I think he does handle pressure in a better way mentally than Haskin does in terms of how he reacts to it. In that way, I agree. I think if he can figure out a way to play around some of those deficiencies, I think he does have a higher ceiling. Well, I agree with you. And related to that, you know, that's why I asked him a question about the offensive line. You know, people say, well, you know, it's hard to look at Murray because of the luxury he had on the offensive line. But at the same time, even if you're a quarterback playing with a subpar offensive line, how do you know the state of the offensive line you're going to at the next level, John, in the right. NFL? Mm -hmm. And, and, and frankly, said, most of the time, if you're a bad team drafting a bad quarterback, it's because your offensive exactly. line is not great. So if Haskins had trouble with pressure, the one concern here moving forward is, let's say he gets drafted by a team, yes, they need a quarterback, right. and he answers that part of the equation, but they don't have ideal protection well, how's he going to respond to that? For example, you know, what David Carr had to go through with the Houston Texans. You would have evaluated David Carr at a college. You said, hey, great upside, great arm, this and that. If you don't give him time to throw, what good is all of that Well, look stuff? at Josh Rosen with the Cardinals last There's year. There's another one, yeah. So that, to me, is the wild card. Now, I could say that pretty much about any quarterback. If it's Kyler Murray, who didn't see nearly as much pressure, what happens if you put him on the opposite end of the spectrum? You put him with the worst offensive line in the NFL. What's he going to do? I mean, especially, and like you said, pressure up the middle for a guy that size is hard. And we saw what happened that first half against Alabama in that game when he got a lot of pressure up the middle. It was a problem. And now he responded very well in the second half of that game, but you could also argue, well, Alabama's comfortable. They're not being as Calling aggressive. Calling the dogs off, right. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of ways to interpret that. It's fair to say both of these individuals have small sample sizes. I don't care yeah. how good, bad, or in between they are, John. They started for one year, and that's it. So it's all projection, much more so than, as we were talking about with Derek earlier, the Drew Brees is the Russell Wilsons of the world. And in Wilson's case, you had two college teams that he worked with. You had a little bit more to evaluate him by. Whereas these two quarterbacks, yeah. I think it's a lot more of a rolling-the-dice projection. Even Baker Mayfield, you had more substance because oh. he was with a variety of different college programs and so forth. Well, he had so, two seasons starting yeah. in Oklahoma, too. So. so, Well, and now I'm going back to the Texas well, of course, Tech yeah, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. You had a lot more to go by. With these two, listen, you can love them. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But don't tell me that you know for a lock, 100%, that this person is absolutely going to achieve greatness at the next level. I, I think it's much more of a rolling the dice mentality. And we've gone these other QBs. Right. And, and sorry for Lance. I mean, the drop. No, we've gotten into the quarterbacks a lot this week, and this is not going to be the topic every show for the next month. It's just not, we have too many other things to do for agency, the combine, but I thought it was good to kind of do one hardcore quarterback show 
to get this all out of the way. And, and kind of this is how I stand, and this will be the answer I give to all my callers until we get to a week or two before the draft when people finally set their big boards and everything. And here's how I stand on it, Lance. Both these guys are good prospects. They're worth looking at in the first round, and the Giants will evaluate both these guys heavily with the sixth pick. Are either guy worth in terms of overall value the sixth pick? For me, the jury's out on that. I'm not sure yet. I need to get a better feel for who these other players are and, you know, how their quote-unquote overall grade is compared to the two quarterbacks. But I would not rule out either guy. I would not pencil or pen in either guy. But I think both guys have put themselves in the conversation as good prospects that will be picked around where the Giants pick at number sixth in the first round. Should the Giants pick them? We'll see. I have no idea what the Giants front office thinks about it. I don't know what they think about these guys. All I know is that they'll be in the mix, in the spot. The Giants will do their due diligence. They'll evaluate them, and we'll see how they feel about them come draft night because these guys are going to be picked around, could be before, could be after, where the Giants pick at six, and both guys will be counted on to have good NFL careers by a NFL team, whether it's the Giants We'll have to wait and see. Well, I think we're going to learn a lot, John, based on how aggressive teams are if they really want to move up. Because I think that's an indication Absolutely. that there's this love affair with Haskins or Murray. But I-, I could see a team falling in love with Murray more than Haskins. Yeah, because of the upside and the intrigue. And the way he runs around yeah. and, you know, big arm. Can be special, creative, yeah. this and that. There, there, there's a quality. Yeah. There's a Mahomes. The factor. There's a Mahomes-ish quality to him. Yes, I think that's fair. That doesn't mean he's going to reach Mahomes' potential. Of but course not. there's that right. flair. That, Haskins doesn't have the flair yeah, that Murray's Murray does. Murray's got the flair. And whether you agree with it or not, that sells in the National Football League because, you know, GMs and coaches start game planning in their head, John. Boy, if we bring this guy in, just think about what we could do. We pair him with this running back. We pair him with this wide receiver, which is part of the potential argument. Heck, if I put on my Pat Shermer hat for a second and I lay down and put my head on the pillow, can you imagine teams trying to figure out how to defend a Murray-Barkley-Reed option with Odo Beckham Jr. as somebody you can't double team on the you have to double team on the perimeter. I mean that is deadly as you know what. Now you have to make a lot of adjustments on top of that, which change how you do things, which is part of the conversation. But if you just think about that for a second, even Murray, assuming he's not going to get any better from where he is right now, and he's going to be a static player with his athleticism, having to figure out who you're going to defend or him or Saquon Barkley on read option plays is stuff that keeps defensive coordinators up at night. That's how ridiculous and deadly something like that could be, and that goes to my, you know, do you fall in love with a guy like that? Well, and what it relates to is I think back when the Seahawks had Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch. Absolutely. Think about what they would run, John, and I know this may be pouring salt in the wounds. I remember the Giants going to Seattle a few years ago, and I think that was the game where Russell Wilson and Lynch combined for like five or six touchdowns, if memory serves me correct, and it was all off the misdirection, right? It was guys off the edge getting fooled, JPP, for example, cutting inside, and then all of a sudden, like that, it becomes a 20 to 30-yard touchdown. The Giants have had headaches going up against the Seahawks, so that line of thinking is, I'm sure, where a lot of coaches are angling their thoughts as well. Yeah, Murray, he avoids a rush, he avoids a blitz, scrambles outside, run, Beckham's in, and, and even, even as a runner, Beckham's in a scramble drill, and you got to cover that guy for an extra two or three seconds? Yeah. Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, the whole deal? You know, Barkley getting out of the backfield? In a scramble drill, going down the field, the way Murray can 
put the ball on time deep accurately, that's really something to think about. Well, and especially look at what they ran this past season, John. Odell Beckham, touchdown pass to Saquon Barkley. Think about the misdirection. And then Odell Beckham to Russell Shepard, who got wide open down the field in that Bears game when Shepard was sort of a, a decoy on the left side of the field. How about running Philly special with an athlete like Kyla Murray? Yeah, who can catch the football as a wide receiver in the end zone. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, there's just a lot of things that you can Unlimited. do. So it'll be fun, and we'll see. So I hope you guys got your quarterback you know what, satisfied, okay? 201-939-4513. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. I know we didn't take many calls today, folks. I apologize. We'll have plenty of time to do that before the draft and free agency, but a couple folks have been holding for much of the show, so I want to make sure we get to them. Let's go to Chuck and Summerfield first, Mr. Dominic. Chuck, what's going on, pal? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing great, Chuck. What's up? Good. Good. I just wanted to say uh, I'm a long time, first time. Thank you. And uh, we appreciate you guys, man, being out of state as we are. You guys are like a lifeline for us. And uh, just wanted to really call in. I, I, I worked up my nerve to give you guys a call. I've been listening to you guys forever. And I uh, just wanted to say thank you very much. Hey, Chuck, we, Chuck we appreciate it. Without viewers and listeners like you, we wouldn't have a show. Thank you for hanging with us. And don't be afraid to call on. I know Lance can bite sometimes. He can get sarcastic. <laughs> he can get nasty. But... He's really deep down not a terrible person. You guys are great, man. I've had guy to say. I just wanted to uh, say maybe a couple things. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think everybody really needs to get a grip. Uh, I think people forget how long uh, a quarterback drought you can have. I think people are a little bit um, unappreciative of Eli, and I think they're spoiled, to be honest with you. Uh I've been a Giant fan since the early 60s, you know, since I could talk, really, more or less. And uh, there's been a lot of bad quarterbacks in our history. Yeah, sure. And for a long time, I mean, I was ridiculed on Monday mornings as a kid. You know, the Giants were horrible. Tarkington was running for his life. He had quarterbacks like Kent Graham. Uh, I mean, guy, I could just name a, a handful of them. Dave Brown, but, uh, Danny Cannell, go through the list. You can go through the list, exactly. I think our best-case scenario is if they can get Eli to restructure, maybe give us a little freedom and sign him, re-sign him again, maybe two years, and get – and and I know you you guys don't want to talk about quarterbacks, but – No, we can. That's fine. If if we can get the kid at Ohio State, I know we need a lot of things to be done with this this year. But to pick him up and let him sit for maybe let him sit for two years behind Eli, let him you know let him let him mature and let him you know, let him get some playing time and you know preseason and stuff and and let him. There's nobody out there who are you going to get if you don't have Eli. You know, Chuck, and it's funny, uh, and, and, and here's the thing, and I think when you talk about people being spoiled and not understanding what they have, I think it works both ways, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I think you have the faction out there that wants to get rid of Eli no matter what without having a good backup plan and succession plan in place where, oh, we'll find someone better, no problem. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. It can get really hard really fast, but at the same time, I think on the Eli backer side, you have people 
that say, well, we'll keep Eli around and we'll find the quarterback when we can. Well, no, you don't just find the quarterback when you can. It's really hard to find your next quarterback. So yeah, I, 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 I think it, so I, I think it really works both ways. You know what I mean? Right. Getting a quarterback in the future has got to be your number one priority at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And you know what? Dave Gettleman knows that. Dave Gettleman knows, and he said it before. Figuring out the quarterback position is the most important thing he's going to do as general manager. He knows that next step is immensely important. He knows that. There just has to be conviction behind it, Chuck. Correct. That, that's the difference. Uh, where I stand right. is, I Absolutely. think the Giants the Giants need a future quarterback. I mean, anybody who doesn't think that, I think, doesn't put football in perspective. But you don't just take a quarterback for the sake of taking a quarterback. That's where I've always stood. In terms of any team in the National Football League, because that's when you get into, you're settling because of need. And then when that individual doesn't pan out, it now puts you in a I, further hole because you didn't get value out of your first-round pick from two I years prior. totally. I mean, you got to love this kid, but you have to think this isn't going to be an overnight thing. Fans that think we're going to the playoffs next year, I mean, I have high hopes too. Don't get me wrong. But I'm looking at three years here. You, we have a yeah. lot of needs. We need to solidify the front line. We need the defensive defense. rushing. Yeah. We need a safety. We need linebackers. We can't have Landon Collins leading the team in tackles every year to kill. It'll ruin his career. Chuck, what what's what you do this season and this off season? Thanks for the call, man. We're running low on time. We appreciate you being a long time listener of the show. Thank you very much for calling in. What you do this off season, at least in my opinion, Lance, is not about trying to win this year. Does it help you win this year? Yes, but you shouldn't be putting yourself in a situation where it's like, all right, we're going all in. Here we go. The hell with the future. And I said this last year too, when they made these moves in the off season too. By the way, so this is not an unfamiliar refrain for me. In the NFL. You're always planning for years in the future. Look at how the Patriots operate. They let veterans walk away all the time when they still have some good football left so they can collect comp- compensation in terms of either in trades or compensatory picks in terms of the draft to continue to build for the future. That's how they're able to, even though their roster is continually turning over, they have more and more resources to fill those. Evan Silva on Twitter, I tweeted this out earlier, had a great um, thread about how the Patriots continue refill their coffers in terms of talent and turn their roster over by using the compensatory draft pick system, Volume. by by swapping picks in the draft and, and, and things of that nature. It's just the way they do things. And when the Giants make those decisions this offseason, you're not just making decisions for this year. You're making decisions for the future. I mean, trading JPP last year wasn't this is going to make our team better this year. That's not why the Giants made the trade. The Giants were all in last year no matter what. Guess what? They wouldn't have traded Jason Pierre-Paul for a draft pick. All right, that's not what a team that's all in to win this year is going to do. It's just not. So every move they make this offseason is to you the better team in two, three, four, five years down the line. That's all I'm saying. Well, moves are made for future assets, to your point. And then there's also moves that are made to fill immediate holes. I think there's a way to achieve both of them simultaneously. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. This whole narrative about, and and I hate the term all-in or win-now mode. To me, everyone wants to win in the National Football League. Correct. Yes, maybe they're not aggressive, John, in terms of spending salary cap space. But I never heard of a team going in saying, you know what? Three wins. That's our goal. Third (laughs) overall pick. First overall pick. Pick, that's it. Yeah, you know what? We'll put our team, we'll put our front office, we'll put our fan base through a whole lot of suffering and a wasteful season. I've never heard a team have that mindset. There might be one exception. Remember when the Browns a few years ago literally cut all their veterans 
and they basically said they're going through a Sixers-like process. That's the only NFL team I've ever seen do anything like that. Well, and part of that was, I think, also a brand-new front office of that course. was analytics and number-hungry. So yep. that was, mm-hmm. to me, a turning point in the philosophy of the organization, the type of players they wanted in. Absolutely. So that's why those changes were made so drastically. But for the most part— Oh, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Teams are always looking to field a competitive group. This is not like the NBA where you have so much more volume of games and there's the lottery in the draft and there's all that analysis. And there's only maybe one or two great players in any NBA draft. You could find 15 great players in an NFL draft. A lot more depth. So to me, it's a different landscape that I think you have to analyze. All right, final call of the show is Scott in New Mexico. Scotty! How are we doing, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you? What's up, buddy? Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with Derek Klaus, and uh, I'll make it as brief as I can. The uh, question I have is, say, uh, I'm, first of all, I want to tell you that I'm a Haskins guy, and I hope the Giants, if he's available, uh, get him. Okay. But if not, say, for example, Haskins is not available, and Kyler Murray, by some strange coincidence, is available at mm-hmm. the number six pit. If he were selected by the Giants, just for argument's sake, and knowing that they're going to have to change their whole offensive scheme around him, uh, first of all, first question is, is Pat Shermer amenable to that because he's always said he wanted a tall quarterback? And well, let me put it this way, Scott. I don't, think, way. I don't think they would draft Murray if Pat Shermer said he didn't want him. Okay. But if they did, just for and say that does happen, right. will they have to? Uh, would that then? They're going to have to change the scheme, which means you have a quarterback that operates under one scheme and one under another. Would that heighten the sense that Eli Manning would probably be going at that point? Because do you want to wait two years to develop a whole new uh, offensive scheme? And that was really what uh, I, I was hoping that you guys could answer. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate, yeah, the, appreciate the call. Good stuff, call. man. And then let me put it this way. Shermer can do it because of two words. Chip Kelly. Yeah, well, I, that's exactly what I was And he would use to. the system yeah. he, they operate in Philly under Chip Kelly, and that would fit fine with what Murray does. A lot of stuff at a shotgun, run it, play yeah, action at a shotgun. Gun. That worked perfectly. It's an interesting question, though, is that – if you have Murray learn under Eli, but Eli is not running the offense that you would want Murray to run, is that doing you a lot of good? I think that's actually a really interesting question. I would have to think about it. Well, I think that Eli could very well stick it out as starter, and they could sort of put in a package for Kyla Murray and then expand it over the course of the season. There is value. Here's the thing. They may make a change in terms of offensive game plan, but decision-making doesn't change no matter what scheme you're running. Reading defenses, yeah. making quick decisions, that, that, that's actually— and you could learn off the field and improve at those things without the scheme being— fit for you. you know, That's a good point. The fundamentals point. never get removed regardless yeah. of the scheme or the point. system. So I don't think that creates tension or an issue. I've seen, you know, quarterbacks, they have a small package. For example, this is not necessarily the ideal comparison, the Saints utilizing Taysom Hill. John, Drew Brees is your conventional quarterback, right? You run things with Drew Brees, and then you bring in Taysom Hill. Now, Taysom Hill's not an every-down quarterback, but he's a guy that they have put in the quarterback position. They've lined Drew Brees up as a wide receiver. Could they do something like that with Kyler Murray? Absolutely. But the decision-making does not get thrown out the window, even if you're creative. So I could see them both coexisting for at least the initial season if that's the Giants' game plan. I don't think that's a stretch. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? I think we've covered just about every angle imaginable when it comes to these quarterbacks. We're certainly going to have much more of a conversation. 
And it will be very interesting to see how the stocks rise and fall to me following the combine because Murray's going to show some things. Well, we'll see what they do at the combine, yeah, too. We well, don't know that. Well, Haskins, we were talking about this last week. Haskins has claimed that he's going to yes. do everything. Mm-hmm. We don't know what Murray's going to do. But regardless of what they do, John, somebody is going to get extremely animated over the 40-yard dash, how high they could jump, how strong they could throw. And I guarantee you, you by the way, Drew Locke is going to impress people at the combine with his with his arm strength he is going to be a guy that people are like whoa he just did that 65 yards in the air because he can do that i mean he's not josh allen but he's not far from josh allen well he's the miami jay cutler i think we've made that very clear well what else is there to talk about here that was a great line by (laughs) Derek. lance good stuff Absolutely. It was all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the Giants offseason. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Tomorrow it's Detino and Fiegels, and you can inundate Detino with quarterback questions. He loves those the best. <laughs> loves it. We'll Passion. see you then. Adios, everybody. Have a good one.